Let us prepare our hearts and minds now as we read the scripture together. We will be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 25. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the words on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, There is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side when he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey there, church. I've missed being with you all. But sometimes the distance can make the heart grow fonder and all of that. My husband and I would joke during the isolation of the pandemic, how can I miss you if you never leave? I just got back from an extended time away. It was so life-giving. Thank you, church and staff, for help making that possible and to everyone who pitched in to cover everything in my absence. I took a summer class, spent time with family, worked on some sewing projects, played mini golf, and won my kids a few things at the arcade. It was so great, and I felt like a hero. And it was so not productive. And that was kind of my goal, not to be productive and to change the pace at which I went about my day. Going into the time off, I think I was just aware enough to recognize that you can take the woman out of the high-intensity environment, but you don't just take the high-intensity out of the woman. So I knew it would be easy to go from over-functioning at work to over-functioning on vacation. The culture of being productive that we live in is so insidious because it feels good on some level. You see lots of results. You get the endorphins from feeling important and busy. It feels purposeful even when it's wearing us out. And we're so used to swimming in the waters where everyone is over-functioning and overworking that it just seems like the way life is, so we have to just get through it. Productivity then becomes our identity. When I started my time off, I was so glad not to have the responsibilities, but I still had my work email connected to my phone Yes, the vacation responder was on, but I wanted to keep an eye on what was coming in in case someone needed something. 
I was also still on social media, which as someone who primarily pastors online, it's always a space of work. I wasn't working, but my mind was still engaged with work. I know, it sounds bananas. Who keeps an eye on work when you're supposed to be on vacation? I mean, who does that? Clearly, I did, but like you would never, right? Okay, I know for sure I'm not alone in this. We get so used to being on high alert that it's hard to feel like we can let go. Why is that? Email pings annoy us, but assure us that we're important. Text chimes say, hey, you're needed. The social media hearts, they pop up with hundreds of pixels of likes. Or kids, roommates, family who might feel needy also make us feel purposeful. None of these things are bad in themselves. It's good to feel needed, important, and liked. I want you to feel those things. But how do we feel about ourselves when those things go silent? How does a slow week at work actually feel? How about taking a vacation? Do you feel restless and start puttering around with new projects or preoccupied with work because you're anticipating when you have to go back already? Perhaps you're retired or your kids are starting to go off to college or even are just more independent than they used to be. Those big role changes can leave in their wake the question of who am I? Maybe you're aging and the busyness of life has slowed down around you and you're feeling forgotten. If you take away your job titles, degrees, responsibilities, or hobbies, how does that feel? Like Ken without Barbie? Pastor Megan without Chicago? Bert without Ernie? It's unsettling, like really uncomfortable. Knowing who we are and feeling a sense of purpose is a core human need we all have. And when our identity is so tightly tied to what we do or who we are with, it's terrifying to let that thing or person go. Even if we do, without addressing the root concern, we're risking transferring the same attachment to the new job, the new relationship, or the new hobby. Part of the reason I needed to take such an extended vacation is because I hadn't prioritized rest over the last three years, ending up pretty burnt out. Do you feel like you have time to do all the work and planning and logistics to actually rest? When you're already exhausted and overwhelmed doing more work, even to rest just isn't going to happen. That's how I felt. See, we love the idea of getting away for ourselves. We know that time away and prayer is a good thing to do, but actually doing it requires getting over some giant mental hurdles. We think, I haven't earned rest, or I'll be judged if I rest. Who else is going to do it if I don't? What are some of the reasons you tell yourself not to pause and rest, or not to pause and pray? Has all of that hustle been fulfilling? There are so many lies hidden in those narratives we tell ourselves. I don't deserve time to stop and pray hides the false narrative that we have to earn time with God. I'd be called lazy or judged if I took time away hides the false narrative that our highest value is in what we do and what we produce. If I stop, I'll let people down puts the weight and responsibility of the world on our own shoulders alone. This belief is 
really us buying into the false narrative that we need to do everything ourselves instead of asking for help, equipping others, and trusting that God also cares a great deal about the people and concerns we have. It can even be true of our spiritual lives. We talk about being countercultural, but really the idol of productivity is alive and well in our spiritual lives. Even as Christians, our identities easily become about what we do, not whose we are. When our Christian identity is tied up in what we do, it's harder to be curious about new prayer practices or about how others are following Jesus is if it's different than how we do it. In fact, we might even be threatened by them because they aren't just challenging our ideas, but who we are. Coming off, a lo- uh, coming off of a long time off, I resonated with today's text because the themes of work and rest have been really front of mind lately. And even before we get to the reading today, there was a lot happening in Jesus's life. And yet in the middle of it, he chose to pray. We know we should be resting, but when our spiritual lives can get wrapped up in the same pitfalls, even that can feel like work. In continuing our series on prayer, we're going to look at how prayer offers us spiritual rest. I want to start with learning why Jesus prayed. See, John the Baptist had just been brutally killed, and his disciples have just delivered the news to Jesus. As readers of scripture, we can be so far removed from the story that we don't pause to remember that although although Jesus was fully God, Jesus was also fully human and has just received the terrible news of the death of someone significant in his life. John was the one who prepared the way for Jesus by preaching in the wilderness, calling for people to repent and make straight paths for him. John was the one who baptized Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Also, John's story more than precedes Jesus's, but is also a foreshadowing of what is to come for Jesus. Before Jesus was preaching, John was preparing the ears of those who would hear what he had to say. So here is Jesus, having spent days teaching the crowds, Pharisees, and teachers of the law, and then reteaching and explaining to his disciples what he meant. And these weren't sweet Sunday school lessons he was sharing with them. These teachings challenged people's assumptions about how the world worked. Jesus challenged the religious leaders who were more focused on keeping God's kingdom pure than noticing the holy work that God was doing right in front of them. He was not mincing his words with anyone. I think about how much emotional energy it takes for me to engage someone in conflict. And in Matthew, Jesus is doing it all the time. Jesus is the one here challenging how people form their religious and social identities. So Jesus is absolutely stirring the water, and the religious leaders had already begun to plot for his death. But now Jesus is met with the news that Herod has killed John for his teaching that point people to God's kingdom instead of the kingdoms of the world. No longer is there a plot for murder or a promise of danger. It's realized And Jesus has lost his cousin and friend. So what does Jesus do? Rally a group to take revenge? Hide or start backpedaling everything he's been saying? No, Jesus tries to take time away by himself. Instead of reacting with an outburst against people, Jesus reacts by going to pray. He chooses to connect with God and process all that's happening. 
See, when we take time to process, we can gain perspective. Jesus heads out on the water on his own. Not a bad way to get some space if you need it. So you might think, but for Jesus, people had heard about his teaching and came to see and hear for themselves what he was about regardless of his need to get away. This encounter happens on the side of the Sea of Galilee that is very sparsely populated. So it's even more impressive that there are 5,000 people and more who have made the journey to be near him and to hear from him. Jesus was dealing with a lot of challenge in his life and it would have come at an exhausting pace. Even if you are God and you can turn water to wine at the end of the day, just kidding, we don't have any evidence that Jesus actually did that at the end of the days, but I wonder if the disciples would bring him a few jugs of water with a knowing look after those long days in ministry saying, come on, just just a little miracle, Jesus. But in all seriousness, Jesus was looking for a chance to get away, to get a break from the crowds and meeting needs. But there were always more people, more questions, more concerns, and more dangerous circumstances to navigate. See, if Jesus waited to rest until he was done for the day, he would have never rested. Jesus was not about that hustle culture. Jesus wasn't looking to maximize his followers at all costs. He may have been continually on the move, but he practiced pausing to attend to the needs of those around him and his own needs. Jesus stopped for conversation. Jesus stopped to heal a woman on the way to help a dying girl. He stopped to talk with a lonely woman at her well. He stopped to care for people who the world would have just hurried past. Jesus also stopped to weep when Lazarus died. He stopped to pray. He stopped to heal and restore his own spirit through connecting with his Abba, which means father in Aramaic. The term Abba is used by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and denotes a deeper relational intimacy between Jesus and God than our word father captures. Father in our vernacular can feel a bit stiff and formal and authoritative. Father might imply a scientific genetic relationship, but Abba in the Aramaic conveys a relational closeness, intimacy, and familiarity, like one of those comfortable relationships where you really feel free to be yourself. Those kinds of relationships can be what we long for when we're depleted, overwhelmed, and needing to process. People and places that create compassionate space where we can pause are rare gems to hold on to. But if we're being real, and I hope we can be, I think that we can all admit that we don't always have the resources or the desire to pause and process in a healthy and thoughtful way. See, when I'm worn out, body and spirit, I don't talk to anyone. I'll reach out after a little while, but it's really not my instinct when I'm really depleted. In those times, I tend to shut down and isolate, procrastinating by filling my time with unimportant tasks and errands, filling downtime with TV and social media so I'm not having to do any deep thinking. I know that when I end up on the side of TikTok where I'm watching glass bottles breaking as they roll down the stairs. Yes, that's a thing. It's time to assess my priorities of God. It's satisfying for sure, but when I have other things to get done, it's a bit of a wake-up call. If my instinct is to isolate and stick my head in the sand, then usually what I actually need 
to do is to reach out to one of those trusted friends who can offer me the space to pause and to process. I know logically that the person I'm talking to can't fix whatever I'm going through. So why should I reach out? Perhaps you've been told that in moments of desperation, we should reach out to God. But even then, it often feels like God isn't changing our situations. So why do we reach out? What changes? What is this conversation, this prayer for? Jesus still needed time apart from his ministry, his vocation, and relationships to be in relationship with God, to find perspective, to grieve, to remember his identity apart from the things he does and, the peop- and who people says he is or isn't. If Jesus needed these moments of solitude and prayer, how much more do we need them? Prayer offers time for the heart, the mind, and the body to be heard. It offers time away from the narratives of the world so that we can return to our life and our responsibilities with a godly perspective on it. Have you ever experienced exercising or walking up some stairs or taking care of your chores to the point where you've lost your breath and had to stop so that you could catch it again? We can easily end up outpacing ourselves, even on the smallest things. Too often, instead of moving at a sustainable pace, we schedule our lives to the point where we feel like we have no choice but to run hard, crash, and repeat. There are many ways that external influences can dictate the pace of our life. But I think if we look closer, we might have more agency than we realize because God has given us a free will and a life that doesn't require these frenetic patterns. God desires to accompany us with wisdom and companionship in the patterns we're setting for our lives. There are outside forces that might push us to those busy and hectic rhythms, but we also are choosing to live up to those standards instead of living in God's kingdom. How might the way we choose to live and exercise this God-given agency impact those around you, a friend, a child, a spouse, or a housemate? Or how about the lives of your employees or direct reports? How might the pace you are running be influencing those around you or even keeping you from seeing their needs because you're going around so quick and things are a blur? In this short passage, Jesus makes two attempts to get away from the crowds to be on his own. There would be a crowd's worth of reasons that Jesus shouldn't have left them, but he did. I'm willing to bet that there were people who needed his advice, his healing, his wisdom, his words of challenge, and his words of love, but Jesus still went away. This intentionality of pausing before the work is done is something I think we need to model. In fact, I think it's precisely because Jesus had so much to do, so many people to attend to, grief to allow himself to experience and disciples to lead, that he went away to be able to come back to them, more grounded in his identity and relationship with his Abba. The text here doesn't tell us what Jesus says to God like we get in some of the other scriptures. These two interior interactions are not disclosed. But the fact that they happen and we are told Jesus goes to pray is noticeable enough for the author to mention it both times. I wonder also if the absence of a description about what goes on in Jesus's private prayer moments is supposed to give us room to imagine 
both what it was like for Jesus, but also what it might be like for us. I wonder how the people and the disciples would have experienced Jesus' departure to go pray. I wonder if they were irritated or annoyed. After all, they had come all that way to hear him or the disciples who had been following him and getting all that dedicated time. And now Jesus is putting them in a boat and putting them out to the Sea of Galilee so he can go up on a mountain? Were they offended? Did they wonder if Jesus would come back? Were they on their own now? We have the advantage of knowing the spoiler that Jesus is gonna walk on water to join them, but I'm guessing that wasn't their first idea of how or where they would see Jesus next. Prayer helps us uncover these narratives and reconnect with what nourishes our soul instead of ruminating on lies the world will tell us to keep us hustling, producing, and isolated. We can also be really busy praying, busy going to church and reading the Bible without actually following Jesus. For some of us though, thinking about prayer comes with these hurdles. Prayer is something we don't feel good at. Sitting still to pray is a non-starter and you feel way more stressed when you try. Instead of the closeness with God you wanted in the first place. Maybe you long to pray, but the ways you've been taught no longer help you feel connected to God. We've heard about different ways Jesus prayed and taught the disciples to pray. I think that in itself is worth noting. In our passage today, Jesus goes away on a mountain and in a boat, but that doesn't mean Jesus only prayed on mountains and in boats. We've heard a lot about the Lord's Prayer and prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are many ways Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. So we can also explore new ways of praying and connecting with God. I think that's really exciting. For me personally, as much as I don't like sitting still and have not found that a helpful practice, I have found that sitting still and giving my eyes or ears or hands something to focus on changes the whole experience if I'm looking to pray sitting still. I have ADHD and like many of you have felt some shame that I hated sitting in prayer. It was boring and actually felt painful. I thought that meant I wasn't very mature in my faith or that it was a deficit of my actual character. But when I was introduced to practices that allowed me to work with the way my brain and body are made, prayer became less of a burden and more of a source of connecting with God, where I felt more free to be my whole self before God. This shift allowed me to experience more of God's freedom rather than be confronted with the ADHD battles I face everywhere else in my life. Prayer is then a place to rest from performing. That is what I desperately needed. In a recent conversation in the online coffee hour, one high rocker, Anne Murphy, remarked, prayer is the only place we aren't graded. As you're listening in this series, even as I talk about getting away, know that there isn't one way to pray that's superior or more holy or can make God listen to you anymore. But the how and the why we approach God in prayer can allow us to attune our spirits to God's presence in a way that suits who God made us to be. However you pray, having a posture of openness and receptiveness to God orients us to the awareness of God's companionship and wisdom that is ever present to us. 
Instead of being defined by what we are, prayer reminds us whose we are, that we are God's. That means we are embraced for who we are. We are people who are forgiven, delighted in, and invited to be a part of expressing God's mercy here on earth. In our passage today, Jesus goes away to pray. It's an intentional time to be with God, how he needs in that context. We also need to get away. How might a change of scenery enliven the way you pray? Maybe you have mountains you can go to. Maybe it's a chair in your yard or a neighborhood walking route. Maybe I've already lost you at those suggestions because getting away for you just isn't feasible. My own busy life can feel really restricting, so much so that like I shared earlier, I really needed to get away, but I didn't even have the bandwidth to plan how to do that. So I just kept pressing on into the fray. And in those seasons, when I do try to pause quickly, things are so chaotic, I was struggling to even listen to what I needed. I wasn't sure how to pray because I couldn't even connect with my own soul. The extended time off I took allowed me the gift of being able to slow down enough for my soul to begin to emerge. I wasn't getting physically away, but I can make a retreat in my interior world to be with God. While walking the neighborhood or sitting or lying down, I get comfortable and imagine a place in the Blue Ridge Mountains where I stayed backpacking one time on an overnight four-night trip. There's this cold stream with a huge rock and a bed of pine needles and leaves on the ground. The air is cool, and as I approach the space, in my mind as I'm being contemplative, Jesus is there waiting for me and welcoming me to put my pack down and with it name the things I've been carrying. Sometimes in that space, I don't unpack things. I just put my pack down and sit by the stream and rest in God's presence. This visualization shifts and I try to approach it with openness and attentiveness to the Spirit's leading. In my experience of struggling to sit still, this interior imagination space has been such a gift. It's made prayer more peaceful and approachable. It's made something intangible, just a little more tangible and experiential for my senses. Because this place by the river holds great memories, it's, pros- it's proven to be a fertile ground for this imaginative prayer practice for me. There's a wise quote by Parker Palmer that's been an incredible gift to me in my prayer life and inspired this imer- imaginative prayer practice I just described. It's helped me to have more patience with myself and patience in my prayer life. He wrote this, The soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, resourceful, savvy, self-sufficient. It knows how to survive in hard places, but it's also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out. But if we walk quietly into the woods, sit patiently by the base of a tree, and fade into our surroundings, the wild animal we seek might put in an appearance. So often I want to rush to the point and hurry up and understand the point or figure out what's going on that I crash around and then get frustrated when I've tried checking off all the boxes of prayer, reading scripture or new devotional, but nothing seems to work. In Palmer's encouragement is the invitation to treat ourselves and our souls with compassion 
rather than rushing them along at the pace we live every day. If Jesus had continued to minister all day, every day, he would have ended up crashing about. But twice that day that we're told, Jesus pauses to pray, allowing his soul to emerge and with it a deepening of his companionship with his Abba. When we get so used to the pace of the world, crashing about and always moving forward and onward and getting things done, always bent towards producing, we will burn out, even if that is continually trying to produce for God. Jesus, in that time away, wasn't performing miracles or offering, offering profound new teachings or confronting social inequities, but Jesus' time away was valuable, not because of what he accomplished, but because of what he would have remembered through meeting with God. Prayer reminds us who we are because of whose we are. Prayer is the rest we need from the crashing about we do in the world. We are valuable to God just as we are in prayer, whether or not we know what to say or when we start to pray. Whether we feel we are good at prayer or not, in prayer we remember we are God's beloved creation. We can lay our burdens down. We can give thanks. We can be angry at people and angry at God. We can weep and grieve. We can ask for help. We can simply listen. We can sit without words. We can draw, dance, sing, write, and know that our God receives it with a sincere and loving heart. The perfect prayer isn't the one exquisitely organized and thought out, thank goodness. The perfect prayer to God is the one you offer out of who you are. Pastor Adele has been my spiritual director for some time now, and I've so appreciated the portable prayer practices she's taught me. They suit my buzzing mind and busy season of life. They help me to enter into prayer in the first place instead of feeling like stopping to pray is something I need to commit lots of time and energy and effort to and produce something out of. I found that when I start these short prayers, they actually can lead to longer times of intentionally listening to God. The one I want to leave you with this week is fixed hour prayer. I know personally there has yet to be a day that I didn't need a rest, a moment to reflect, or a reminder of whose I am. Fixed hour prayer is a very old tradition. It can also be called the daily office and sets a brief time of times of prayer throughout the day. Setting three to four fixed times during the day that you can make free, block out that time for prayer. You can use pre-written prayer, pray the Psalms, do the daily examine, or simply sit quiet with God, if that suits you. Typically, the daily office uses pre-written prayers, which you can find doing a Google search of the Book of Common Prayer. Or perhaps there's a prayer from this series you've been really resonating with. Go ahead and use that. The point isn't to complicate the time, but rather through scheduling the time to pray and making it a predictable pattern, it doesn't have to become something you have to do but spiritual rest that is awaiting you in your day. We don't know how our days will go, but practicing fixed hour prayer helps us remember that God is with us. We can expect to get off kilter, to get frustrated or get wrapped up in our ego. We can also expect that when we take time away to pray like Jesus did, we can return to our responsibilities, more aware of God's grace, mercy, and companionship. So go to God, knowing that you won't be graded, but you will find grace. 
You can make time to get away knowing that things might not be different when you return, but you will be. When Jesus went away to pray, the disciples were still going to have a million questions when he got back to them. John the Baptist was still going to be gone when Jesus returned from the mountainside. The dangers of Herod's pursuits were still going to be looming over Jesus' ministry. Prayer doesn't change these things, but it does orient us to God's truth that we are always more than what we do and who other people say we are. Our identity in Christ is secure. The presence of the Holy Spirit is persistent. And our close Abba relationship with God is guaranteed. This week, experiment with fixed hour prayer as a part of your rhythm, as a reminder that you are more than what you do more than your title, more than your hobbies or degree. You're defined by something so much greater than the titles and accolades and designations and labels of this world. Let's practice pausing and resting from all our crashing about so that our soul can begin to emerge. Church, as you pray, may you remember who you are because of whose you are. Amen.